Hey, Piers. It's Michelle. I've got some exciting news. The Piers Project has just produced a podcast for Bryony Kennedy, the CEO of award-winning Australian cosmetics brand, Adorn Cosmetics. If you've ever needed a compass to navigating the different areas of your life, then this podcast, Beauty, Business and Babies, is for you. In this fortnightly series, Bryony shares the tears and triumphs that come with navigating the tensions between the pivotal areas in a woman's life and assures women everywhere that they're not alone in feeling like a mess. So make sure to tune in now to Beauty, Business and Babies by Adorn Cosmetics on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, or just head straight to the link in this episode's description. Now let's get into this episode. This is the Peers to Peers podcast, powered by The Peers Project. Hello, peers. Welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. Peers speaking, peers listening. This is a conversation for you. I'm your host, Michelle Kidanor, founder of The Peers Project, millennial entrepreneur, world traveler, podcast expert, and forever your fellow passionate peer. Each week, I invite inspiring millennial entrepreneurs from around the globe to chat with me. No filters, just real talk, peer-to-peer. Together, we unpack what it takes to go your own way and why there's nothing better. As always, thank you for listening. If you enjoy our podcast, please do pass it on. The more peers, the merrier. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. Diving into the deep end can be terrifying, but as our next guest reveals, amazing things can happen when we leap boldly out of our comfort zone. I'm thrilled to welcome Alice Default onto the show today. Alice is a 2020 Forbes 30 Under 30 listee and the co-founder of Double, a US-based remote assistance service for busy CEOs. I'm super excited to talk to Alice today about how she transitioned from a career at Microsoft to starting her own company and how we can all learn to embrace the unknown. For those of you who haven't yet, make sure to take a screenshot of this episode right now, post it to your Instagram story and tag us at The Peers Project so that other peers out there can benefit from the wisdom of these incredible millennial entrepreneurs. Okay. Without further ado, here is my conversation with the amazing Alice Default. Alice, welcome to the Peers to Peers podcast. We're so excited to have you. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Awesome. Cool. So, you know, you and I connected recently over LinkedIn. And when I looked into you and all of the amazing work that you've done and you're doing in the tech and business space, I knew I had to have you come in the show. So I really appreciate you taking the time. Of course. I'm, I'm super excited to be here. Awesome. Cool. So look, for those of us who don't know who you are and what you do, tell us a little bit about yourself. Sure. So I'm Alice. I live in New York right now, but I'm originally from France. And I started a company called Double about two years ago in the productivity space. So we're a a remote assistant service for mostly CEOs and and C-level executives, which is 
uh, trying to just make it easy and accessible to a lot more people to have really good executive assistance. And then before Double, I have been working in productivity since I left college, basically, at a couple of companies. The, the latest one was acquired by Microsoft. And so I, I also spent about three years at Microsoft building the Outlook mobile app. Huge. It's so cool. I mean, when I looked into you and kind of all the stuff that you've done, I was like, wow, she's done so much already. (laughs) You know, I was like, I'm so excited to dive a bit deeper into your career, your work and your business. But before we do, I'd like to start with a question that I've often found to be very insightful and revealing. And that is, you know, where did you grow up? And you mentioned that was in France, you know, and how has this impacted the choices you've made in your life and in your career so far? I was actually born in France, but I moved a lot growing up as a kid. My dad's job would make him move every three years. So we would change city every three years and and lived in France and then lived in the US for a bit. So just kind of all over. And what has that taught me? I think what it taught me was just to be okay with things you didn't know and being okay with being outside of your comfort zone. I basically was outside of my comfort zone my entire childhood and and being okay with uncertainty and like what's coming next. I think growing up that way really taught me that. And I feel like that's something that I use every single day being a founder now of just like you never know what tomorrow is going to be like and you're always going to be in situations that you've never been in before. And I'm, I'm grateful to my parents to have, you know, taught me at least that. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I love it. I think it's so telling, you know, what we what it was like for us growing up. And it really does shine through in what we're doing today and how we have kind of, who we've really become. And so I guess a question I've got for you is diving a bit deeper into that time. So, you know, what were you like as a child? You know, what did you love to do? Were you inquisitive? You know, you were traveling around a lot. Talk to us about Alice, the early years. This is going so deep. Um, (laughs) I... To be honest, I was kind of a boring kid. I was really introverted. I was really into books. And so I spent my my entire childhood just reading books a lot. Again, moving uh, so much, you know, I I got to being used to to occupying myself by myself, I would say. And yeah, I was really just into reading and doing well at school. I loved school. Uh, I was like a really good student. Never dragged my feet to go there. And yeah, that's it. That's about it, actually. Mm, yeah, I love it. I think it's so fascinating kind of looking back and, and thinking about it. And I just think it's so interesting that you were really into like reading and you were just like, I'm going to preoccupy myself. And I think, you know, the journey of a founder, especially it's quite solo and it's quite, even if we may have co-founders, we are still doing a lot of the work on our own every single day. So I think that's really interesting. Cool. So talk to us a little bit about, you know, after you'd progressed, you know, you said you really loved school and, you know, you went off to study at the Paris Business School. You did a master's in science, specializing in entrepreneurship. Talk to us a little bit about your desire to get into business and entrepreneurship and your interest in that, you know, talk to us about that. Sure. I actually never knew what I wanted to do growing up. Uh, I didn't have this career in mind and I knew I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I actually made my decisions based on how open my options would be once I had finished a class. And so business for me was, wasn't was because I dreamt of doing business school, but because at that time it was 
what I feel was closing the least doors for me, if that makes sense. Like I knew that if I went to business school after that, I would, there, there were so many options, you know, versus going to design school or going to med school, which kind of like, you know, puts you in a very specific track. So basically, because I didn't know what I wanted to do, I wanted to keep my options open. That's how I ended up in business school. And then once there, still didn't know what I wanted to major in. And back then, you know, really loved school as a kid. But then growing up, I kind of got tired of going to class. And at my school, the the entrepreneurship major was the only one where you didn't have that much class. You only had like one day of class. And then the rest of the week, you would be paired with actual entrepreneurs and you would just help them out. And I actually picked that major because I didn't want to go to class. And I liked the fact that, you know, you were put into real companies and got to experience real situations. So that's how I ended up picking entrepreneurship. And I guess in the end, I kind of fell in love with the startup world and how flexible and exciting and challenging it was. And I was like, this Startup is also, you know, an an environment where you don't need to know what you want to do. You're just like it, your job can change every single day. And so I kind of also, you know, kept doing that just because it, I I didn't want to fit into a box and then have like this well thought out career. Not because I, I I don't think it's good, but because for me, I just couldn't see one path that made sense, basically. So interesting. I think, you know, so many of us can be so confused about what we want to do and, you know, what we want our careers to be. It's such a big decision to make it, you know, when you're in your 20s. Now, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe, you know, they're either looking at a major to do or they're looking at a master's or maybe they're just looking at, should I go out there into the real world now? You know, what advice would you give to them around being comfortable with the unknown? That's a tough question. Um, I mean, it's, I, I also think that everyone's comfort zone is different, right? And for some, not knowing what they want to do is their comfort zone. And it's like they're going to strive in roles where nothing is defined and they can build basically whatever they want or work on the projects that they want. And then for others, their comfort zone is going to be super different and they're going to look for a super specific path. So I don't think there's like this one set of advice that works for everyone. For me, it would be mostly just thinking about what you want to do, and and because like when you're in college, obviously you don't you don't have experience with other companies, you don't really know what different jobs you can do. I think what helped me back then was just talking a lot with people who were actually in the workforce already, who were doing a lot of different jobs, jobs I didn't even know existed. You know, like one of my jobs coming out of college was being a product manager, but in school I had no idea what a product manager was or what it did, and just. I think talking to people a lot who have been who have been through a lot of different experiences help number one and two just being open to to opportunities and and as they come I think one thing that I did looking back um, that helped me a lot was just kind of going with the flow sometimes and not trying to figure out everything because it's really hard like it's so hard unless you're like in a in a path that's pretty straightforward like you want to do consulting or you want to do finance and and the paths are already drawn out and that's great you know and like you know what the next step is going to be uh, and that's amazing like if you want to want to do that go for it but if not just also be open to maybe do a job that you don't really know and and learn and learn while you're there or accepting something that's a bit outside of what you wanted but then thinking that maybe you can you know go back to what you originally wanted and just be more flexible about how you approach your career I would say. Such great advice I couldn't agree more I think you know so many of us can get 
just really in our heads about it and not actually think about, hey, I don't need to know everything. You know, I, I even if I've got this degree or even if I don't, even if I'm going into a field where I've never even, you know, done anything, no previous professional education, et cetera, it's okay. And I think that whole thing you said around learning on the job just couldn't be more true. I think even the, those of us who have the degrees and whatnot and go out there like you had a business degree, so did I, go out there, started the business, very different to what they teach you, you know. And so I think it's, it's really cool to be able to exactly what you said, have that open mindset. Cool. So look, let's dive a bit deeper into um, what happened after business school. So you said you were just always going with the flow. You know, I saw you did a couple of different stints across the world, actually. You did six months down in Oz here with us, you know, you were in marketing and business development. And then you did six months in San Francisco, working on the growth app, you know, working at growth app. And then you ultimately ended up in Microsoft as a product designer, as you mentioned, in London. Talk to us a little bit about those navigating those early years of your career. It, again, no real set plan. Like this is probably the worst advice you can give. Like, just like uh, but I don't have a plan. But I, I, for Australia, for example, I knew I wanted to travel, and so I was okay to kind of not have a job I knew I wanted to do my entire life. Like biz dev is not something that I ended up doing. And but I wanted to go to Australia, and so like I was like, okay, like this, this is gonna work. That was super early, though, right off off college. And then after that, I worked for a couple of startups. And every time it was, I mostly, I didn't go after a company. I, I went after people that I wanted to work with. Um, and that's something that's kind of followed me my entire life of, you know, I feel like if you're really transparent about it, there's like not that many companies that build something that is like something that you dream of when you wake up, you know, like. I ended up working for an email company and then a, a calendar company, a calendar app. And like, I don't wake up in the morning and say like, my dream job is to work for a calendar app. But uh, my dream job is to work with people I respect, who I'm going to learn with, who are going to help me grow. And so I wasn't, I, I never went after companies because of what they did, but because of who built them. And so that's how I ended up at Front, the first company I joined after college, um, because I met the CEO, Mathilde uh, Conan, who's based in, in San Francisco now, who's like an amazing female founder. Um, she had started her company a year ago, and, and I really liked the way she was building her company. And that was really inspiring to me. And so that's why I joined Front. Um, Sunrise, the company that I joined after, which was a calendar app, that got acquired by Microsoft was the same thing. I met the CEO and and he was really inspiring to me and I knew that I he was going to give me room to grow and to learn and to build the things that I wanted to build and that was really important to me. So that's kind of how I've made my decisions every time of not about the project or not about the company but more about the, the people in these companies that I was meeting. Once again, just so valuable. I think, you know, I just think that so many of us can just, you know, see the label of a Microsoft or we see a label of a big company or whatever. And we just think that's just what we, you know, everything we want and whatnot. And then we're often surprised when we go and work at those companies and go, oh, wow, maybe it's not, you know, all it's cracked up to be. So I love how you, yeah, I love how you kind of just always thought about the people because I, I just truly believe that life and business is people. It's that's all it really is. So then, talk to us a little bit about you know when you decided to actually make that move to Microsoft. Was that because the company got acquired and you were still working there? What happened there, and what were those three years like? 
very different from everything that I had experienced before. The, so Sunrise, the, the calendar app, got acquired by Microsoft back in 2015. Um, and back then, it was a small team. It was about, I think, 14 of us. And so we got acquired, and, so, and the entire team was merged with the Outlook mobile team. Uh, so that's how I ended up at Microsoft. Again, my dream job was never to work at Microsoft, but through the acquisition, we kind of ended up there. And the challenge was super interesting. We had been building a really popular calendar app for you know a few years and it had about a million users when we got acquired so it was it was good people loved it and now we were face in front of this challenge of like building outlook mobile which is email and calendar for 80 million people and just the the scale of the challenge was amazing and so we all stayed to to rebuild the app back then microsoft was doing a few acquisitions and they, they merged a couple of startups to make it happen so the, the challenge was amazing, right? Of just the scale of what you're doing was great. And then seeing Microsoft from the inside was for, for me completely new. Uh, I, I had always worked for small companies and startups, uh, never with teams of more than like 15 people. And then overnight, I find myself in, you know, a team of like thousands of people working on Outlook. Uh, so very different environment, obviously comes with a lot of, I was going to not downsize, but like things that you needed to get used to and, you know, adapt to, but it, it, it was great. And then in the end, I actually left Microsoft with two of my previous colleagues who I was at Sunrise with and who are now my co-founders. Uh, one, because we loved working together and we wanted to keep doing it. And for us, Microsoft was getting too big. All of us were very driven by building products. At Microsoft, you do that, but there's also a lot of uh, things that you need to take into account just because of how big the company is. And so we were at a stage, I think, all of us, where we wanted to go back to a smaller team, go back to a smaller product, uh, be able to experiment a lot more with what we were doing on a day-to-day basis. But it was it was a an amazing opportunity, I would say, to experience Microsoft from the inside and on on one of the their most used apps today. Amazing. It's just so fascinating. I think you just put it so well in terms of the differences and the the benefits and and then the downsides. And it's it's so yeah, it's just so cool that you got to experience the two. So look, you I think you were in micro when you were at Microsoft, I think you were in London. And then you started decided to start that your business double in New York. You know, talk to us a little bit about the move, the desire to come to New York and do it there. And what, you know, what were the early days of Double like? So actually I, I moved before starting Double. The Sunrise, the calendar app, was based in in New York and Paris. Uh, and so I, I did a stop in London, but the, the, the main office was in New York. And so I actually came to New York for Sunrise and thus for for Microsoft. So I, I was I was there before starting Double. And then once we left Microsoft, um, my co-founders are French as well. And so obviously we could either stay in the U.S. where we were. Two of us were in, in New York at the time and, and my third co-founder was in San Francisco. Or we could go back to France. And for us, I don't know, we just we just loved it where we were. We loved New York. My co-founder loved San Francisco. We wanted to stay there. And we felt like the the U.S. market was a good market to to start anything in. Uh, and so we decided to stay in New York and build the company there. Uh, so it's not like I moved specifically for Double. I feel like changing cities or countries and starting a company at, at the same time is probably really, really tough. Uh, so I, I just started the company, uh, took the, the easy routes. So yeah, I th- and then how we started was a lot of research. 
So Double is an executive assistant service. So we help CEOs find really great assistance, and then we build tools to make that relationship really click. Um, and at the beginning, we knew nothing about executive assistance. We had never been assistants. We have we had never had assistance, but we thought the the challenge was really interesting. And because we had worked in productivity for such a long time. Like that's something that we wanted to try to solve. But again, we knew very little about it. So we, in the early days, we just spent so much time interviewing people, people who had assistance, people who should have assistance, but didn't have one and trying to understand why assistance themselves, like I sat next to assistance, you know, looking at how they worked and looking at the tools that they were using. So that was like how we started Double and like really trying to understand the problem that we were trying to solve. And then super fast, actually, our, our, our very first official day at work, we onboarded a client. Uh, and so for us, it was very important from day one to have to have the service be live in a way, even if it was really crappy and it was like we had no tools and it was just Sophie, our, our amazing customer success manager, who who's now our customer success manager, but had accepted to be a, a double, so an assistant for the early days. And it was just her and our, this one client who had accepted to test us and we didn't have any type of tools. We were like hacking Trello and an uh, email, but that's how we started just like doing a lot of research and then bringing that research inside with like just having a client that we could look look at and understand their workflows, understand their pain points and just like go from there to, to build the service. Mm, huge. You know, I think so many of us have this warped perception of what it's really like. You know, I think, oh, we start a company and it's it's all perfect and, it, you know, it's it's then the paycheck, the big paycheck comes and the, the clients just come, you know, and it's actually so not like that. And I just love that, you know, how you, yeah, how you just spoke to the fact that it, it really was you just trialing it, you know, it wasn't super perfect. You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who maybe they have this idea or the, perhaps they've even already started a business or some type of side hustle and they're really finding it quite scrappy and difficult to get through these early kind of initial steps. You know, what advice would you give to them? Um, I think it's it's advice that you can probably hear everywhere, but that actually you hear everywhere because it's good, but it's just like start with one thing, do it really, really, try to do it really well. And doing it well doesn't mean that it's like the service is perfect or that you built a really amazing app, but it's just like you're solving an actual pain point. Like just pick one pain point that you want to solve and just go out and focus on that and do it in the way that's just, you know, they talk about MVP, like minimum viable product of just doing it in the simplest way for you. Like don't invest too much in it, um, but solve a pain point that someone has. And like, you can start with just one person and that's enough. And then if you have one person, then you can go get two. And then if you get two, you can get five. And like, that's how you grow. I think one of the risks of of starting a company or starting a product or whatever, or a side project is that you want to go big really, really fast. And so when you do that, you're trying to address a big audience. And so like a lot of different pain points or a lot of different use cases. And that's kind of when it gets overwhelming of like, how do I go from zero to a hundred or zero to a thousand? But actually you can just start with like, how do I go from zero to one client and or like user and then one to five and then five to 10 and then 10 to 50, like, think about it as, as baby steps basically. And, and like for every one of at each one of the step, it's just like one pain point that you want to focus on and do it in 
the simplest way possible. So well said. So then talk to us about, you know, your dynamic with your co-founders. So, you know, I'm guessing, I'm not too sure, but I I think obviously if you both all came from Microsoft, you're probably all just like designers and, uh, you know, product creators, et cetera. You know, how did you juggle the business aspect of building a, st- a business, you know, when, when you when you guys really were just very, you understood, your skill set was more geared to the actual product creation? I really think we were lucky uh, for a couple of reasons. The, the first reason that we've we've worked together for a long time. Uh, it's a, I think we're on our sixth year working together, the three of us. And so we know each other super well and we're okay to have tough conversations and we're okay to uh, get deep into stuff that you might not if you're just meeting a co-founder. So that's one thing I think that has really helped us with the dynamic is like feeling comfortable and trusting each other from day one, even if you mess up and you're going to mess up, right? Because like that's what startup is, but knowing that we have each other's back and that we trust that we're all doing our best all the time. Uh, I think that was, that helped us a lot at the beginning and, and still today actually. And then in terms of the, the other reason why I think we were really lucky is that even though we share the same interest for product and building product, we all have very different backgrounds. And so we're, we are complementary. And so it was really easy for us to kind of find our spot in this dynamic. So one of my co-founder is an engineer. And so he took the CTO role, like leading the engineering part super early. And that made total sense. Um, my other co-founder is a designer. Uh, by experience. And so he took on the more product and design part. And then I have a business background, even though I, I, I went to do product and, and design afterwards, I, I do have a business background and I had been doing a lot of marketing before. And I, I had done biz dev, if, even if it wasn't for a long time. But anyways, and so I took on the more business part of, um, of the company. And then for the things that we didn't know how to do, we just hired really good people who came in and, and knew. So like, you know, the admin and legal and operational side of the business was something that we none of us had experience with. And so we went out and find a really good operations director who's amazing and who helps us on a day-to-day basis. So that's kind of how it all played out of just one, we were in a good setup from the start and really build the relationship because we had this trust that really helped the dynamic. And then for the things that we didn't know how to do, we just went out and, and hired people to come and help us. Mm. So great. It's so, I think it's just so important to have those complementary skills and backgrounds, et cetera. And I think that really that's the only way it's going to work out long term. So I, I love that you guys found that so early on. I guess the question I've got for you is, you know, you talk about, you know, the fact that you just, you went out and hired, et cetera. What type of budget were you guys on? Was it you know, did you raise money for this? What? How did the finance side of things go? Sure, we we went out and raised money super early in the project. the The main reason at the very beginning was that we were all French and we were all on visas in the U.S. And so, to keep our visas, we had to be paid. We had to be at a job that paid us. We couldn't, you know, not have a salary. And so, if we wanted to start a company, we needed to pay ourselves super early on. And because we, we weren't, we knew we were not going to make a service that would, you know, make enough money at the start, we went out to raise money. So we raised first with angels. Uh, so we did a, a small round with angels, a couple hundred thousand uh, dollars. And then very early on, actually went out to raise institu- institutional money with a VC fund year one, actually. Wow. Huge. Amazing. And what was that process like? You know, everyone talks about 
pitching process, the VC process, it's quite difficult. How did you guys find it and what were some of the steps that you took to make that happen? Fundraising is is, is always a weird, a weird process and, and I think no matter at which scale you do it, obviously the, the higher the amount, I'm guessing, the harder it becomes, but it also it's, it's quite hard at the beginning when you're just starting, especially if you don't know the right people. We were especially lucky, I think, because... We had worked at companies that were really well known, and we had worked at companies that had raised money before and got acquired. Like Sunrise got acquired, and, and that in the VC world is like a stamp of approval, kind of. Uh, and so when I went out to raise money for Double, our track record of the companies that we had worked with with my co-founders was super useful to go and, and meet the right people super fast. Definitely something that I feel extremely thankful for to have been able to use my past experiences to go out and fundraise, which also meant that people trusted us more because of this track record versus like someone that, you know, just came out of nowhere. So in our case, it was the, the fundraising process was actually pretty smooth, I would say, in the sense I was short, not that we got all yes, but in a sense, I was it was pretty short because we got to meet the, the right people super fast. So that was amazing. And then on the other side, it was also super intense, like any fundraising process. Usually what I, I say with fundraising process is like, it's you only need one yes, right? Like you only need one person to say yes. And so it takes a lot of no's. I, I remember for our first round, I probably talked to like 60 or 70 different firms um, and I got one yes, but you know, the, that's like all I needed. So it was, it was intense, but a I got to do it way faster than a lot of entrepreneurs. So I, I'm not, I, I don't complain. Mm. No, I love that. And I think really, I love how you broke it down, like 60 or 70 and you got one. And I think, you know, so many of us need to internalize that and just appreciate that, you know, as much as, you know, you were lucky you had the track record, it still took a lot of no's. And I think so many of us just stop at 20 and we think, oh, well, I've already had 20 people say no, like, Honestly, of course, it's not going to work. You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening around staying in it when things get tough and just, you know, continuing to persevere? I think one of the first things that was important for me and that I would recommend is to have some sort of support system. Like I have at least one person that's not you or not your mom that believes in you is a really good start because when you go out and, and talk about your product and about your service and people tell tell, tell you no, you're going to start questioning yourself for sure. And you're going to start questioning your project and you're going to have doubts and, and it's going to be hard, you know, to like be like, wait, am I doing the right thing? Am I focusing on the right things? Am I doing it with the right people? Like everything, it's really hard to stay focused and like not doubt yourself when you're raising money. And so for me, what was really helpful is that I had people who weren't like my friends and my family who believed in what I was doing from a business perspective, who like knew that this could go somewhere. And that was so good to have just because when I doubted, I was like, wait, what am I doing with my life? They were like, no, this is good. Like, remember like why you're doing this and like, remember what's important to you and, and keep going. Uh, and I think that was super important. And I'm saying like, don't don't pick someone like that in your friends and family because if you do that, then they might support you. Like they'll boost you up, which is amazing. But also maybe your idea is shit and like someone should tell you. So like if you do, your friends and family probably won't. So having, or when they tell you that you're doing good, you're going to be like, you have to say that because you're like my mom or you're my friend. And so it doesn't help the same way as someone who has no attachment to you, but ha- like believes in the business that you're doing. I think that's super important. 
Mm. How can we find those people? Um, on my side, I found them were just like past work experiences. They were my previous bosses, people I had worked with in the past who ha- I had stayed connected with and who stayed close. Uh, my, my previous boss was my first investor at Double. And so I think it's in, if you're at college, maybe you don't have work experience, but maybe you have a teacher, maybe you have like someone that you've worked with one way or another in the past that you can pitch your idea to, that you can ask for support. Or if you don't have anyone, like ask your teacher to introduce you to someone or like, you know, build your network. It's not, I, I think it's never too early to build your network and, and find people who are going to be able to look at what you're doing from an external point of view and, and give you their support. So great. I honestly, yeah, I just couldn't agree more. I think network and sometimes that word, you know, but even just connecting with people, you know, if you say it in that way, is just so valuable. I mean, it's how I've connected with every single one of my, pretty much every single one of my podcast guests, you know, and I just think that the value exchange that can come from that when you're kind of going out there and you're just going, you know, I'd love your help, but what can I also do for you? You know, and having that approach is super valuable. I just love this. So as we as we kind of start to wrap up though, I, I want, there's a couple more questions I've got for you. And I guess the first is, what has been the progression of Double? You know, you're now two years in. You said you've raised super early in the first year. What's that progression been like, I guess, for you personally as the founder and also on the business front? Uh, a lot. Two years feel like 10 years. I think as a, so as a business, we've uh, so we've been around for two years. We raised our first year. We went back and raised another round. In our second year, grew the team. We're now 14 people on the team. And we have a, a community of about 40. So we call them doubles, our, our exec- executive assistants working with us. For our first two years, we were in, in beta in a way. So we were only accepting a set number of clients. And that was for us to have enough flexibility to really iterate on the service, on the experience that we wanted to build. Uh, we knew that if we got too many clients, we would be stuck in one way of doing things. And, and if it wasn't the right way, we know we wanted to be able to, to really challenge ourselves of like, and, and, and giving us the space to let go of stuff if, if they were not good. So we, we did that for the two first years. And then we actually just launched uh, last week officially. So coming out of stealth and we're now accepting a lot more clients, which is an exciting thing for us uh, kind of being heads down for two years and now being okay uh, we know what we want to build we're pretty sure that we found something that works and now it's just about going out and testing it you know in the real world uh, so we're at this stage right now it's super exciting for us kind of happening with the COVID-19 crisis so it, like the timing wasn't ideal but it's still uh, it's still a, a good moment for us as a company and you know getting new clients and helping a lot more people is always a good thing to do. And personally, I, I, it's been a wild ride, but it's been great. I, th- I think as a founder, your job changes all the time, right? Like you are always learning something new and always doing something that you've never done before, especially as a first time founder. I, I never started a company before. And so I'm, I'm learning everything, but it's it's good. Like I'm growing so fast and I'm learning so many things. Uh, so so it's, it's been it's been interesting. Love it. It's, yeah, I always love that reflection piece on, you know, where, how far you've come in such a short amount of time and kind of the personal growth that goes into it. You know, I think there's a saying or something that says, you know, 
business or starting a company is probably one of the most intense personal growth journeys you're going to go on personally as the founder or as the owner of the business. And um, yeah, it's just so cool to see that you guys have been able to, you know, really knuckle down and get it right. And now that you've launched, I'm so excited to see where it takes you over the next few years. And yeah, we're so excited to follow along the journey. So look, Alice, you know, the last two years for you with Building Double, you know, you've received countless recognition and countless awards. You know, you've recently been listed on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list for your amazing achievement. You know, what advice would you give to our peers out there listening who perhaps have big goals and big dreams and, you know, they really want to do something and, you know, but maybe they're a bit nervous, they're a bit scared, they don't know what the right path is to take. What advice would you give to them? That's a tough one. I would say don't overthink it, you know, just do one thing. And I I feel like, and this goes back to what we were saying earlier, but when you think about what you want to do, whether it's like a goal that you want to reach, a product that you want to build, a award that you want to get, you know, whatever it is, it's really hard or it can be very overwhelming to like know how to get there. And there's no set path, right? Of like a super clear way of, of going wherever you want. And I think there's always the risk of like sitting in your room and overthinking it and being like scared and like because you're scared, you don't know where to start. And so I think sometimes it's also useful to just like forget about this and just do like one thing, like one small thing that you can start doing now, one small project that you can build, you know, whatever it is, whether it's like going and finding a job that in a company that you like, whether it's starting a side project, whether it's starting your own blog, like I don't know, whatever it is, but start small and and go from there and don't try to do it all at once, I would say, because that's like, it's it's never how it happens. Like there's no overnight success. Um, So. Hmm. Love it. Such sound advice. Oh, look, Alice, we've had an absolute blast. I just want to take a moment to acknowledge you for the awesome work that you've done and that you're doing, you know, for showing us that we we just need to take that next step. And it's not, you know, we don't have to get super overwhelmed. We can just really take it as it comes. And I guess I love your your view on that. And we just really appreciate you. Thank you so much for having me, Michelle. It was great to be here. Amazing. So the final question is how we finish every episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. And that is, what is the value of pursuing what you're most passionate about. Doing what you're most passionate about, right? Like getting to like yeah. w- waking up every day and doing something that you're excited to do, I think is for me at least it was just like I spend a lot of time at work. Like work is a big part of my life and I don't want to drag my feet to go to work. I want to do something and like I'm not saying that I wake up in the morning and like jump out of my bed. Like I'm not a morning person at all and I'm not that type of person like that will say that I I love my job so much that I wake up at six to do it. But I think, you know, being comfortable at work and being comfortable leaving work and going to work and just like being excited by what you do, I think at least for me, that's the value of doing something that I'm passionate about with people that I, I love working with. Love it. Oh, Alice, ladies and gentlemen, we've had a blast. Where can people learn more about you and Double? So our website is withdouble.com um, and you can find us on social media at I'm with Double. And I'm at Alice underscore default on Twitter. Perfect. We'll link them up in the show notes. Thanks again. And for everyone else listening, we will end with that. Peers, that's a wrap. Thank you for tuning in to the latest episode of the Peers to Peers podcast. We hope you've enjoyed your introduction to our latest guest peer. 
and that you find them as gung-ho as we do, which is our way of saying inspirational. For more, make sure to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Spotify, or any app where podcasts are played and leave us a review. We produce with passion and it doesn't stop here. To see what else we're up to, visit thepeersproject.com or follow us on Instagram at thepeersproject. We'll have fresh, real talk for you next week, peers. Until then, if you need inspiration, look amongst your peers. <laughs>